Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of this day and for every good gift that we receive by your mercy and your grace. We ask you to silence in us any voice but your own, that as we encounter and engage your word once again, it may claim us in a new way and in a powerful way to transform us for Christ's sake. Amen. Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the gospel according to Matthew, beginning at the first verse of the 20th chapter. Let us hear God's word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the usual daily wage, he sent them into his vineyard. When he went out about nine o'clock, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you also go into the vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. When he went out again about noon and about three o'clock, he did the same. And about five o'clock, he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, call the laborers and give them their pay, beginning with the last and then going to the first. When those hired about five o'clock came, each of them received the usual daily wage. Now when the first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received the usual daily wage. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner, saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for the usual daily wage? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last the same as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the day after I turned 16, I got on my bike and pedaled furiously to my local McDonald's, where I applied for a job and was hired on the spot. As much as one can remember, it was a positive experience. I mostly worked the grill. My managers were reasonable, my co-workers were amiable. I learned some structure and discipline, and I was paid, if I remember correctly, $2.35 an hour. So imagine this. I show up for my shift in my navy blue polyester shirt and navy blue polyester pants, 
That kind of paper cap that McDonald's workers used to wear. I was ready to make Big Macs and filet of fish and Happy Meals for the thousands. I worked hard at that job. So about halfway through the shift, my manager, Dave, introduces a new coworker. There's no interview, there's no training, he just shows up and starts to work. Then later, a few hours later, I'm watching the clock, I'm counting the minutes till I can punch out, and a, another new person shows up in the same story. Finally, the shift is over. I'm ready to punch out, head home, perhaps even spend a little of my hard-earned money on whatever 16-year-olds spent their money on back then. Manager Dave gathers us together, and he hands us our paychecks. So we open them, and as 16-year-olds do, we compare our paychecks, all three of them the same, exactly the same. What the heck, I think to myself. I worked harder, I worked longer, and no disrespect to the other two, except we know that when you say no disrespect, you actually mean disrespect. <laughs> but no disrespect to the other two, I worked better also. Yet the pay was exactly the same. How fair is that? So I go to Dave to complain, but he'll hear nothing of it. We paid you what you were owed. We paid you what you earned. So I hop on my bike. I, I of course, can't afford a car on $2.35 an hour. And I, I pedal away, furious, at the unfairness of it all. Well, that's the parable we've just heard from Matthew's Gospel. Let's hear what Jesus says one more time. And when the workers receive their pay, the ones who started at the beginning of the day, they grumbled against the landowner, and I think that's sanitized language. They grumbled against the landowner. These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And he said back to them, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree to work for this usual daily wage? So take what belongs to you and, and get out of here. I, I choose to give to the last the same as I give to you, and I'm allowed to do that. I can do what I choose with what belongs to me. And then this question, are you envious because I am generous? Are you envious? because I'm generous. And then Jesus says, the last will be first, and the first will be last. So we'll continue to unpack what stewardship is in this year of stewardship. One working definition is our grateful response to God's graciousness. Another might be caring for all that God gives us. And as we continue to explore what stewardship is, a baseline premise will be this, that we respond to God's activity. God acts first, graciously, lovingly, and then we nurture and cultivate. We are stewards of that action in, in how we live our lives, 
and how we share that gift. Another way to say it, punctuated by this very pointed parable of Jesus, is that, that because God is generous, we are generous. Now, we often associate generosity only with money. Generosity includes money, to be sure, and one of the reasons we're having a year-long conversation about stewardship is that we can't afford not to talk about money in this place. So financial generosity, absolutely, that meets you where you are and stretches you, whatever level, whatever capacity. Yet if you go back and take a deep dive into the parable this morning, you will understand it's only tangentially about money. That is to say, money's the symptom, but it's not the root of the worker's problem. Like stewardship, generosity is about money, but it's about so much more than money. I recently read an interview of Robert Redford. He's 81 years old has a new movie out. In this interview, Redford was reflecting back on his early career before he was handsome and rich and famous. He was just handsome at that point. Just another young actor trying to make it in Hollywood. I've been very fortunate, he said, in that I've had wonderful relationships with people I've worked with. But nothing has sustained like the relationship with Paul Newman. Nothing has sustained like our connection. It went into movie friendship, into personal friendship. It cut very deep. And then he tells a story, Redford does, about Paul Newman. Newman agreed to have me in the movie Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid that I should not have been in. He was that generous. The studio wanted others. He wanted me. They didn't pay me anything. I almost had to pay my way into that movie, but Newman's generosity struck me hard, that he could be that generous and have that kind of integrity. And then the film went on, we both pushed aside our movie personas and just became friends. It turned into a longtime friendship that still exists, even though he's not with us anymore. What a sweet thing to say. Then Redford says, I still think about him, and I will always be grateful for his generosity. Generosity of money, generosity of time, generosity of opportunity, generosity of relationship, generosity of attitude, all beginning with God's generosity toward us. We're in the Jewish holiday season. There's a Jewish prayer called Dainu. Dainu is a Hebrew word, translated, means something like enough. It would have been enough, this prayer goes. Last week at 9.30, we were discussing God's gifts. One person said it was a gift just to be able to get up this morning. Dainu, it would have been enough. So here's a bit of the prayer. If God had brought us out of Egypt and had not carried out judgments against the, our Egyptian captors, Dainu, it would have been enough. If God had split the sea for us 
and had not taken us through it on the dry land, it would have been enough. If God had taken us through the sea on dry land and had not drowned our oppressors, it would have been enough. If God had drowned our oppressors and had not supplied our needs for the next 40 years, it would have been enough. If God had supplied our needs in the desert for 40 years and had not fed us the manna, it would have been enough. If God had brought us before Mount Sinai and not given us the Torah, it would have been enough. If God had given us the Torah and had not brought us into the land of Israel, it would have been enough. You get the point. It would have been enough. We deserve none of this. That God is generous at all, let alone that God is generous in abundance, is almost too much for us to handle. If God had allowed me to ride my bike to McDonald's for an interview and I didn't get the job, it would have been enough. If I got paid for a long shift, and another got paid the same for a short shift, it would have been enough. My friend Jill Duffield, who serves as the editor of the Presbyterian Outlook, writes about this parable, and she focuses on that question when the owner asks the workers, are you envious because I'm generous? And Jill writes, yes, yes I am, yes I am envious because God is generous. Even though I've been given everything I have been promised, much of which I do not deserve, I am envious. When I perceive that someone else is getting what could have been mine, what should have been mine. What's most dangerous in the scenario, she says, is how much I think should be mine. I easily justify what I deserve and just as readily calculate how undeserving others are. But here's the thing, Jill says, this parable isn't about idleness. It really is not about the laborers, the ones who go to work early, or the ones who go at the end of the day. We often make it about those things because those are the things about which we obsess. We care deeply about fairness. More accurately, she says, we care deeply about perceived fairness toward us. We spend an inordinate amount of time sizing up whether or not people are deserving, worthy, and appropriately appreciative. We devote lots of time and energy into assessing measurable results and the impact of our generosity. Then Jill writes, when we hear this story, most of us assume we're the ones at the front of the line, the ones who went to fields early worked diligently all day, got our agreed-upon wage, and then felt stiffed when those idle ones came late and got the same payment we did. But what if we imagine that we were the ones who got there last and got paid first? What response does that flipped script elicit? Imagine you were among the last people chosen to go to the field. And Jill writes, I ask you the final question. Are you envious of the landowner's generosity or are you grateful for it? 
No matter how you interpret this parable, we are the ones who get way more than we deserve, more than was promised. We get not what is right, but what is amazingly good. Do we get what is fair? No. We are gifted with grace, and grace by definition isn't about fairness or our worthiness, but solely about God's loving kindness. And then Jill concludes, every time, every time we are tempted to size up who is idle and who should be on the receiving end of generosity, God's or ours, we need to consider this parable and remember, truth be told, we've got not what we deserve, but what God has generously given. This year of stewardship will be predicated on several basic affirmations. The very first one is that God is generous. Generous beyond generosity. Not only is it enough, it is more than enough. The air we breathe, the people around us, the first leaf turning red, bread and cup, life itself, it is more than enough. In her book, Gilead, Marilyn Robinson writes that our task is to acknowledge that there is more beauty than our eyes can bear, that precious things have been put into our hands, and to do nothing to honor them is to do great harm. This allows us to be generous. Precious things have been put into our hands and our calling is to be stewards of those precious things to note God's generosity all around us and in us and between us and among us. To note God's generosity and to respond generously. That's our calling. Let us pray. We join, O oh God, with all things now living in a song of thanksgiving to you, our Creator, who fashioned and made us, protected and stayed us, who guides us on to the end of our days. Help us to know we have enough and more than enough, and help us to respond gratefully and generously. Amen.